We're in a study of First Peter, uh, and so we've been walking through that. And so tonight we're going to talk about a subject that I know that's dear to every one of us. And so I'm going to just take a minute and just pray uh, for our space, uh, for your space, as we get ready to uh, hear from God, from His Spirit. So would you, uh, would you join with me, Father, today? Thank you for the moments uh, that we share. Uh, my prayer is that your spirit would keep his promise uh, to guide us into all truth and give us all wisdom and grant us full conviction. I pray, Father, that you would allow every word of my mouth and every meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you. Father, speak into this space, into the spiritual warfare that will take place uh, within every mind and every heart of every person. And I pray, Lord, today that you would be mighty in that spot. And that you would take every thought captive and bring every thought into obedience to Jesus. And that you would destroy strongholds. And that you would just tear down anything that's exalted itself against the knowledge and the experience of you. And so, Father, today, thank you for Peter and for speaking through him to us and for allowing it to survive these many years so that we could glean from it your truth to us. And in a day and age where suffering is rampant, Father, make us, uh, make us people who are able to withstand it and come through it in a way that brings you glory and honor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Always a little bit of a challenge when you're communicating to people how much of you to share. And so I debated this, but I'm going to share a little bit with you. Um, about about something that's affecting my life. Um, we listen. Let's let's define suffering before we go further. Right? Suffering and persecution are two different things. The Greek language defines persecution as uh, being hunted, being chased down. Right? There are truly people in the world today for many reasons, not just because they're Christian, but they're. There are many people in our world today that are being persecuted, that are being hunted down and are being harmed or captured and enslaved, right? That's persecution. Suffering, at least the Greek word by which we translate the word suffering, comes with it the idea of heavy emotional toil, right? It's the idea that you and I alike bear these emotional burdens that create tremendous suffering in us. And our world is full of suffering. Yes, our world has a multitude of persecution. But for our conversation today and what Peter's going to say, he's talking about suffering, right? Suffering comes in many, many vehicles and many vessels but it always lands in the same place for everybody. And that's the emotional weight that it carries in your life and in mine. And because of that, suffering is common to every person. Every person. Because it's emotional. And what makes you emotionally heavy, what causes suffering for you, might not cause suffering for me. And what causes suffering for me might not cause suffering for you. I've been the recipient of, of many, many correspondences over my time at Tomoka, but one in particular keeps 
coming around. And this week was no different. I received a correspondence, an unmarked, unaddressed letter to me in the mail. Same lettering, same writing. And every time I see it, I know what's coming. Behind the envelope and on the, and on the pages of the contained letter are hateful, mean-spirited, ugly words written by somebody who goes to our church. They come randomly but regularly, and they have for the last several years, where the writer communicates their distaste for me as a person and distaste for my family and complete distaste for God allowing us to be here, asking us repeatedly in these letters to leave and to no longer be a part of Tomoka. That causes great suffering for my family and for me because it creates an emotional weight that we have to deal with. And the reality is, is that it's clear that whoever's writing this letter and communicating their vitriol toward me and my family, they have a, they have an incredible amount of suffering as well, right? We say it this way, hurt people, hurt people. When in reality, it's the suffering that an individual feels that gets expressed that comes out in that form. And that, that's what I'm talking about. And what I, what I know is, as I, as I prepared and, and, and was made aware of this challenge, my guess is, is that there's no one, whether you're a, a, a follower of Christ or whether you're, you're just searching or whether you're angry or whether you're just not sure, my guess is that everybody's familiar with that challenge because our suffering comes in so many forms, right? Jesus said in this world, you'd have trouble. That idea of pressure, right? We'd have friction, right? We'd have this weight on our lives. And his his promise to us is that we can be of good cheer because he's overcome that. And the reality is he doesn't say we can avoid it through him. It's just that through Jesus, we can overcome it. Because the reality is suffering presents itself to us almost on a daily basis. For many of you, suffering is a state that you've lived in since childhood. You've suffered the weight of your, of your parents' failure in their marriage and the divorce that came. You've suffered at the weight of abandonment or abuse, whether physical or verbal or sexual. You've suffered, right? For others, that abuse or that, that suffering came when you got into school and felt peer pressure and felt the bullying that came. And in today's world, that suffering comes silently at times because it's through social media that we bully people, that we, that we express our hatred toward people. And here's the thing. All of that stuff that we deal with creates tremendous amounts of suffering in the world today. COVID-19 has created innumerable, innumerable amounts of suffering for people across our globe. Every country Every country and every nation in our world has been affected by COVID-19. Some greater than others, but everybody has suffered because it's created an emotional toll upon people. And now, with the the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests and riots, and now the political banter back and forth, witnessing a world that's not only in tremendous amount of 
danger physically at times. It's a world that's rampant with suffering. And, and so Peter writes this chapter and in it speaks of suffering and how we as followers of Jesus should respond to that suffering. Because here's what we're learning, or hopefully here's what we're learning from Peter in this letter. Just as we learned last week, listen, there are times and places where you and I need to have positions that are defensible as a Christian, right? And in the world that we live in today with so much divide and so much division based on where we stand politically and where we stand racially and where we stand with our social media accounts, as we've witnessed almost on a daily basis, the Christian the follower of Jesus, a slave, right? An indentured servant to his master, Jesus. We're obligated to have defensible positions. And whether you're persecuted for a lie that Nero said, and you were banished from your home country and, and pushed into a, another country as a foreigner and an alien and a stranger, the Holy Spirit through Peter doesn't make the exception except calls the church to make sure our, our relationships are defensible, to make sure that our answers to people are defensible. Because at the end of the day, we have a Savior that's completely defensible. And if those who represent Him can't have proper defensible relationships and, pos- and, and proper defensible answers, we can't draw people to Jesus. And isn't that what we're here for? Peter Drucker, a well-known business expert, has written many books on the subject of leadership. And he says that for any business, any business, they need to ask two questions every day. And the first question is this, what is your business? And second of all, how's business? Right? Those are the two questions that we should ask as a church. What's our business? Well, it's very clear. Our business is to make it hard for people to reject Jesus. Because at the end of the day, what's at stake is an eternity and not a short-lived time on this earth. Our business is making it hard for people to end up separated from God for all eternity. The question is, how's business? And in the world we live in with all, all that's going on because of COVID-19 and all the tension that's been created, right? Because of what's taken place over the last several weeks. The church needs to take a stand. And it isn't for a political regime. The church doesn't need to take a stand over a political candidate. The church needs to take a stand to exalt the name of Jesus. And so Peter says, don't revile when reviled and don't return evil for evil and don't return insult for insult, right? But love one another, serve one another, right? Take defensible positions. He transitions that into the suffering that comes in living in this world. Listen, I don't need to make you familiar with suffering. Everybody suffers. What's being expressed across the pages of our social media tweets and posts, what's being expressed across our videos, right, isn't a difference of opinion. The reality is what's being expressed across all of those mediums are people expressing their suffering, their emotional weight, And they find, listen, we live in a world today where everybody has access through this medium to express everything they're feeling. That's different for 
for us because we weren't raised in a generation where we had many mediums at all. And so to criticize the world that now provides those mediums isn't really the issue, is it? For the church, the issue is there's a lot of suffering in the world. And man, isn't that the opportunity that the church is looking for to speak into that? And so Peter connects what I think are three characteristics that accompany suffering. Three items that you and I need to be intricately aware of when it comes to suffering. And the first one's found in the first six verses of chapter four. And I'm going to read the first six verses. Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered, right? That same, that same Greek word, that idea that Jesus carried this emotional weight, this heavy toil in him. It said he suffered in his body. This was real to Jesus, right? This, this was something he carried that made him familiar with your journey and mine. Therefore, since he suffered in his body, this isn't about physical abuse, right? The Greek word has nothing to do with the physical and everything to do with the emotional. He says he suffered in his body. Therefore, since Christ suffered his body, arm yourselves, a military term, meaning to prepare for battle, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers, who carries this emotional weight in the body is done with sin. As a result, they, those of us who suffer that way, do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Pagan, just a word for somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, not washed in the blood, right? What pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised, right? Those that don't follow, follow Jesus are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. Right? That should be an admonition to all of us who want to defend a certain kind of lifestyle as a believer. Listen, we should so be holy, separate from the world, that we don't participate in that stuff. Right? That it says they heap abuse on us when we don't follow. But they'll have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. So that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So here's the first item I want to connect to suffering, right? And suffering is this idea of not being physically abused, right? Suffering isn't about losing your job. Suffering isn't about the diagnosis of cancer you receive in your body, right? Suffering isn't being isolated because of COVID-19. Suffering is the resultant emotional toil that we carry because of life circumstances. And every, listen, every person is familiar with that. And right now in our world today, we are inundated with the expression of people's sufferings. And so the first item that's connected to suffering is this, that suffering poses a challenge. Now I'm going to, I'm not an expert on this topic, but I've studied it, read about it because it fascinates me. Right? We've all, we've all made choices that do not reflect who we are. Right? We've all said things in the heat of a moment that man, we want to take back because unfortunately it's going to allow other people to see us a certain way and we know that's not who we are. Or 
we've all watched other people make consistent choices about the same self-destructive behavior. And we've asked ourselves, why do people do that? It makes no sense. We've all watched that. If you're a parent or you've ever been in a relationship with somebody, we've all watched other people make decisions that we've scratched our head and said, why, why do they do that? Right? We've added A plus B and it doesn't equal C. And we've wondered why they've done that. So I've been fascinated with the idea of why do people make decisions? Neuroscience is the study of the brain, right? What makes it click? And the reality is, is that there's so much about the human brain that we just don't know, right? But here's what neuroscientists have, neuroscientists have concluded. That there's a part of our brain called the limbic system. And the limbic system is in charge of all emotion, right? It's, it's the idea that all emotion, all decision-making, all human behavior is processed in this part of the brain. Think about it. Everything we feel. Everything that we consider to make a decision and everything that we do is processed in the part of the brain called the limbic system. But here's the kick, the kicker. The limbic system has no language from which to speak from, right? It houses the emotions and the arousals of our, of our flesh, right? But it can't communicate. On the other hand, the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex is a place where all cognitive thought resides, right? All analytics reside, and it's the part of the brain that has language from which to speak. Yet, it's not the decision-making power of the brain. The emotion part is. You see, it's the emotion part. And here's the key. Most neuroscientists will tell you that the limbic system operates at a speed almost 200 times faster than the analytical side or the neocortex side. So here's the problem, right? We are emotional-based beings, right? And the reality is our brain is so wired to act impulsively from the part of our brain that houses all emotion, all arousal, right? All decision-making power and all human behavior, yet it can't speak. And so our part of our brain that can speak often speaks and acts according to the emotion of us. I find that fascinating. Because usually when we're trying to win an argument, we're presenting facts. I think of how many times you've had discussion with your, with your teenager. We always try to approach our teenagers with facts and logic, right? And the reality is, is that when you're dealing with a carbon-based being who has a limbic system that processes all emotion, all, listen, all decision-making and all human behavior yet cannot communicate it, then you have a neocortex part of the brain that communicates what the emotions are feeling because it processes information 200 times slower so it can't catch up. So you're trying to change a human behavior based on logic when the choices were made by emotion. Here's, here's, here's why suffering is such a challenge. Because suffering, suffering comes from the emotion, the limbic part of our brain that processes all decision-making and all suffering. Right? Listen, 
You're going to observe millions of behaviors over your lifetime. If you're blessed to live any length of which you're going to look at these decisions and go, they don't make any logical sense. That's because they weren't made by the limbic or by the, the neocortex part of your brain. They weren't made by the analytical cognitive side. They were made by the limbic side. Last night, the storms rolled in, right? Tornado warnings for Volusia County. And we watched the map around 9 p.m., my wife and I, and we saw the storm heading for the corner of LPGN 95, right where we live, right? Meanwhile, our 17-year-old daughter was preparing to leave Publix at Williamson and Granada to head home. And my wife was frantic, worried, being driven by the limbic part of her brain that processes all emotion and all decisions. And I wasn't. She said, are you going to do something? Are you going to say something? And I said, what, what, what do you want me to say? And she said, I'd like for you to act like a parent, right? Because your 17-year-old daughter is, is going to choose to drive home in a, what's potentially a really bad storm. And I remember... Thinking to myself, as I was talking, how stupid I must sound to this woman because I'm trying to give her facts and figures that her cognitive side of her brain has to process to make a decision. Meanwhile, her emotions are running rampant at a speed 200 times faster than her logical brain can keep up. And she's speaking from that spot. I had no chance to calm her down. So I got up, I went out in my car. Talked to my daughter, drove down to make sure that she could get home safely. Suffering really puts a challenge upon a Christian. Listen to verse 1 again. I want to bring, bring back verse 1 here real quick. Of 2 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered, he gets it, right? That's one thing about Jesus when you pray. He gets the emotional suffering, right? He suffered in his body. Therefore, since Christ suffered his body, listen to this. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Keep going. As a result, they do not live the rest of their early lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Listen, here's the challenge, right? He says we should arm ourselves with the same attitude. And in the Greek, he's talking about doing it in our mind. And the Greek word there for the mind is the cognitive brain, right? Because the thing that speaks ultimately has the power, right? Ultimately, our voice is what confirms what's in our head. Our emotion triggers the limbic system. And many, listen, many of you are suffering today. Listen, many, many people of color today, many black people are suffering today and their emotions, right? Their emotions, the, the part of their brain that's processing all emotion and all behavior and all decision making, right? Is the one that's speaking. When we speak back without empathy toward that pain, it doesn't matter what kind of pain it is. If we don't speak empathetically toward that pain, we can't be heard. We cannot be heard. That's why when you deal with your teenager and they're expressing their hurt and you don't give them any sympathy, you're not going to be heard by your irrational teenager. Empathy creates a bond by which communication could take place. And empathy isn't anything except understanding how the human brain works. So suffering shows up. It pushes down on our emotions. It creates this weight in our limbic system. And yet it's the... It's the neocortex that's going to speak. So here's what Peter says. 
arm that part of your brain with the same attitude of Jesus. Because if we don't, uh, listen, if you and I don't arm the part of our brain that's going to speak about the decisions we've made with some higher power than what the brain intuitively has, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Listen, so many Christians today who love Jesus are in trouble, not because of their lack of love for Jesus, but because they haven't understood the power, (coughs) excuse me, that the Holy Spirit gives us to override the emotions. So many, listen, so many Christian people love Jesus, but they're making every decision based on how they feel. And they're forcing their part of their brain to speak, that speaks to speak confirmation of what they feel. The Holy Spirit arms the part of our brain with language to say something different. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians 10. Listen to what he says. He says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does, right? Listen, our brain, our, you, listen, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, your brain's in constant conflict. Conflict about what you feel and conflict about what your cognitive brain says you should and shouldn't do, Right? It's, it's, it's why diets are so hard, right? The cognitive part of your brain says eating ice cream after midnight with milk and cereal and chocolate syrup is going to make you fat. Meanwhile, the emotional part of your brain says, I am sad, I am depressed, I am this, I am that, and I want it now. And while you're pouring your milk over the cereal and the chocolate syrup and sitting on the couch and you're a third of the way through it, your cognitive brain kicks in and says, this was a really dumb decision. And that's where guilt and shame kick in, right? If you and I don't exercise the authority greater than the one given to us in the world, we're in trouble. So Paul says the weapons that we use to fight with are not the weapons of the world. It's not based on the world system. On the contrary, they have divine, that means eternal, godlike power to demolish strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Emotional strongholds. We demolish arguments, right? Those things that rage in your head and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why? Because if you and I, Carbon-based beings whose brain is built to give the power of emotion, arousal, decision-making, and behavior to a part of our brain that can't speak. But yet the part of our brain that can speak, right, can't keep up quick enough to say the right thing. If we don't have something to counteract that equation, listen, Christian, we're in trouble. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Right? It's the Holy Spirit that grants us this ability. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 12, 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Right? Listen, I don't think there's a Christian out there, a follower of Jesus, even many who don't know Jesus and haven't accepted him, understand this, that if you're going to, if you're going to give your allegiance to God, you're going to have to make the sacrifice of your life. You can't hold on to your life and say to a God, I worship you and I want to honor you and then keep your body to do whatever you want. I don't think anybody's that stupid, right? But here's the thing. That's a really nearly impossible thing to do. If our brains wired the way the world has wired them, is allowed to operate without a counterbalance. So he says, your bodies need to be offered as living sacrifices. Holy, right? 
pleasing to God. This is how you worship, right? Verse two. So here's what he says. Don't conform. That means don't put on the face of, don't pattern yourself after the world, but be transformed. That means different. It means what's on the inside should come out on the outside. How? Here's what he said. By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That Greek word for mind is the cognitive brain. So how do you transform How do you transform the cognitive part of your brain to where it can override this powerful limbic system that drives emotions, decisions, and behavior, right? That, that is how Christian people live, right? Christian people realize that that challenge is present before them and they fight it by allowing the Holy Spirit to override that through its power of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, right? You can't get, listen, the, the Holy Spirit's authority doesn't change your emotion. What it does is it takes control of the cognitive part of your brain that puts language to decisions. That's how Christians have to operate. But listen, suffering creates a challenge, right? Whether you're black or white, whether you've, you've suffered in silence for COVID-19 or you've not suffered in silence or whether you've lost your job or you're dealing with cancer, you're going through a divorce, you're a teenager who's dealing with self-worth issues, whether you're a teenager who's dealing with self-identity issues, all of those things, we get so intolerant of that stuff. And in doing so, We miss the opportunity to extend the olive branch of empathy and begin these conversations. Because suffering, my friends, is a challenge for everybody. Real quickly, a couple more. Here's another quick challenge. Suffering, right? Suffering affects connections, right? Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Again, that Greek word for the cognitive part of our brain. That part of our brain has to be empowered to override our emotions. Listen, so many Christians who gather on all of our campuses, who are gathering online, are struggling to figure out why faith is such a difficult thing. It's not because you lack it. And it's not because you don't love Jesus. It's not because your conversion wasn't real. It's because your emotion, right? The limbic part of your brain is allowed to go undeterred And therefore, your cognitive brain that speaks always echoes its sentiments. And guess what? That creates myriads of problems when Christians constantly give in to their desires. And here's what it does. It affects relationships. He says, above all, we should love each other deeply. Because love does what? Covers, right? That's the Greek word for forgiven. Covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another. That means hospitality is the idea of entertaining strangers. Offer hospitality to one another how? Without complaining, grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, listen to this, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, the problem is... Suffering isn't just a challenge, right? But suffering also affects our connections. How in the world, listen, 
How in the world are we supposed to love one another in a way that will cover a multitude of sins, serve one another, right? If you and I are constantly in our suffering, allowing our emotion, that heavy emotion, be the thing that drives every decision and every word we say in a way that makes that impossible. Listen, so many, I I don't have to tell you this. Marriage is a complicated process. And so is raising children. Listen, being in a relationship, many of you are dating or trying to date. Being in a relationship is complicated. Whether it's your boss, your parent, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your children, your spouse, it don't matter. Being in a relationship is complicated because we are imperfect beings. Carbon-based beings with a part of our brain that processes emotions and arousals and desires. And that same spot also controls all decision-making and all behavior. (laughs) No wonder we're in such a complicated process. The Holy Spirit that enters our lives as believers in Jesus who've surrendered through confession and repentance and baptism, now endowed with a divine power that can so affect our mind, our cognitive mind, that the words that we speak will trump the emotions that we want to act from. If you and I can't do that, we can't have relationships. Because how can you love, right? Consider others more important than yourself. If that's the part of you that always acts. Which is why so many Christian marriages end in divorce. It's why so many Christian children fall away from the church. Right? It's why so many Christian people have a hard time working as good employees. Right? Because listen... One of the things we've done well in my mind, listen, this is just me, an old guy who looks back. One of the things I think we've done well for the millennial generation, Generation X, is we've allowed them the space to express their suffering. It was complicated growing up in 1960 and 70 where your parents didn't let you speak. I mean, you had to suffer in silence, right? And that was complicated. And we grew up without a phone. So I couldn't call my friends and express my suffering to them. You literally had to suffer in silence. And we say today, oh, that made us tough. And it made us what we are. Not everybody. Not everybody made it. Not everybody made it through that. Lots of people in my generation did not make it through their own suffering. We only say that if we weathered the storm. But what about all of those hundreds of thousands of people that did not? Are we still willing to say how good it was, even though we know how terrible it was for others? At least in this age, we've given voice to that. Here's the problem. We've given so much voice to that generation that they have no concept of the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to that voice. And so we're raising a generation of people who know how to express themselves through Twitter, Instagram, right? Facebook, any social media platform there is. And yet we've removed the authority of the spirit in our cognitive mind to say, no, we can't act that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't act that way because the Holy Spirit's God. And the Holy Spirit is full of love and joy and peace and patience. How in the world do we ever expect that generation of people to, to, to fully come to faith in Jesus if we allow them the constant expression of how they feel? Listen, you can have the constant expression of how you feel as long as the Holy Spirit has final say. And the Bible was pretty clear about that. You see, suffering, emotional toil, creates 
a challenge for us because our brains aren't wired that way. But it also creates a connection issue with other people. I counsel people on a regular basis and almost always. The issue between a spouse or between spouses or parent and children isn't because they don't like each other. You would be amazed at how many people we counsel that actually like each other. The problem is, is they're living with somebody who's unwilling to allow the Holy Spirit in their cognitive brain, arm yourselves with the same mindset of Jesus. He suffered. And his limbic brain wanted to make every decision, right? Process every behavior. But yet because he was also fully God, he didn't give voice to that. Instead, he surrendered. And the Bible says he learned obedience to the things he suffered. Not physically. What he carried emotionally. What that did to him in his heart, in that part of his brain. You and I need to understand that sometimes suffering, when done well, will help our relationships. And when done poorly, will destroy every one of them. And last, the last item that's connected to suffering is this. It doesn't just affect, it's not just a challenge and it doesn't just affect our connections. Listen, it takes a commitment. Here's what Peter says at the end of verse 12 through 19. First Peter four twelve through nineteen. Peter Peter finishes the thought by connecting um, the commitment required uh, for that to happen. First Peter chapter four verse twelve says this: Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. Right? Listen, this is not. That's why James says, "Consider it joy when you're tested, as though something strange were happening to you." No Christian should ever be surprised at suffering. Persecution's different. Suffering is common. He said, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Jesus. He went through this. Yes, he was nailed to a cross. Yes, he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. Yes, he was beaten to within an inch of his life, right? Yes, he was nailed hand and feet to a wooden peg. Yes, he was, he was suffocated on that cross. But the suffering was the emotional weight he carried from all of that. That's common to all of us. So he said, bring, bring verse that, in the, that, but rejoice in as much as you participate in that suffering with Jesus so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. If you suffer there, that word is again, Listen, don't carry an emotional weight because you're a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, a gossiper, right? However, if you suffer as a Christian, and we all do, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin. It's time for God's testing and purging, right? God's approval process to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us... What will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? Quotes this from Proverbs 11. And if it's hard, listen to this. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what's going to become of the, God, of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer 
carry that heavy weight according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Listen, there is no easy answer, church, for suffering. If you're out there and don't know Jesus and you're suffering, listen, there's no easy answer. Drugs are not going to solve it. Alcohol won't solve it. Counseling might numb it as all those other things will for a while. But the only way to truly overcome suffering is to commit yourselves. That word commit is a banking term. It's the idea that you walk into a trusted friend and you lay a deposit with that person and you trust that that person is going to hold on to that until you return. At the end of the day, Christian, the only way to endure suffering in this world, and there is tons of it, many if not all of you listening right now are suffering. You've carried an emotional weight. You're carrying an emotional weight. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to act on it because your limbic system is processing information and decision-making 200 times faster than your cognitive brain? And you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to take authority to say no to those processes, right? If you and I are going to survive suffering, we've got to entrust ourselves. That means give ourselves to somebody that we trust is going to hang on to that until it's time to redeem it. And that's God himself. Listen, your faith and my faith are unwavering persuasion in God to hold on to us when we are suffering is the only true way to make it through. It's it. You and I, listen, Christian or not, it's a human thing. Suffering is a result of this world. This world, at this point in time, it is what it is. There's enough history in the world, past and present, for you and I to know how the world works. It comes with suffering. If you're a parent right now, I guarantee your child is suffering. And if they aren't at this moment, they have in the past and they will in the future. If you're in a relationship, the person that you're with is suffering. And if they aren't right now, they have in the past or they will be in the future. If you're married, the person that you're married to, is either suffering right now, has in the past, or will in the future. There is no way to avoid it. Except, as a Christian, placing ourselves, committing ourselves, to this trusted, this trusted individual that's going to hold on to us until the day Jesus returns. There's a point to all of this. There's a consummation of all of this. Because suffering, listen... Outside of forgiveness, there's no quality that makes us more like Christ than suffering. And there isn't anything about being human that makes God more empathetic than knowing what we went through. I say this to people who are in ministry all the time. I say it to myself. Your first response and my first response to people who suffer always has to be one of empathy. Because people are always human first. Even if they're Christians, they're always human first. God made us that way. God's intention was for us to be human. And we've now been redeemed through the presence of the Spirit because we couldn't do being a human well enough to stay out of trouble. But we're always human first. So I just want to remind you as we leave. The world is rampant with forms of expression. Most of those expressions are just some, is just somebody expressing pain. 
And if you're married to that person, if you're raising that person, if you're friends with that person, if you're working with that person and you're a Christian, take a defensible stance and be first and foremost empathetic toward that person. Speak to that person in that way. Because that makes the path for them to hear the goodness of Jesus in you and through you much greater. And remember, Christian, suffering is inevitable, right? Suffering is, is absolutely inevitable. But the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives us the power to not let it be the final say in everything that we do. Let's pray. Father, today my prayer is that is for all of those people who are suffering. I, the, the number I'm sure would be staggering. You tell us to come to you in our time of mercy and, and grace. So I pray that for every person that's suffering, Father, first and foremost, they'll come to you. For every person out there that knows Jesus, who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and now is a dwelling place for your Holy Spirit. They would surrender to the authority of Jesus in that form so that every decision they make in their limbic system isn't the one creating all of the problems. They'll learn that they can say no to that power because it's divine and eternal. And I pray for every person out there that doesn't know Jesus who's suffering right now. Father, I pray that you'll put one person in their life with empathy. The kind of empathy they received from you when they were suffering so that they can be a beacon of hope and light to them in the name of Jesus. We pray this. Amen.